wonderful. So, we're starting a new series this morning about identity. And uh, I want you to take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to the book of John. Uh, John chapter 10. Every once in a while, we have an encounter that helps us see something of who we are, of where we fit, of what we want the life we live to look like. We, we see a story that, that touches our hearts and, and inspires us to, to do better, to be kinder, to, to be more present for those that are around us and who are in need. The story of the young man this week who appears before the judge for a victim impact statement. A a woman in uniform had accidentally shot and killed his brother. And the trial is over and she's about to be sentenced. And he stands to, to read his impact statement. And he just says, I know that my brother would want you to be forgiven. I hope you never have to go to, to, to prison. And I, I hope that you find Jesus. I was inspired by that. I just thought, wow, that's incredible. That happened just this week. And, and watch that. And then, then there are experiences that come and, and give meaning, shed light on, on who we are as a people, on our values, on our, on our capabilities and, and potential. And, and I, I love those moments. I, I remember this. I, I've always been a son. I, I've always known who my father is and, and have had parents, but I didn't really understand how important the job was until I stood in the delivery room of the Foothills Hospital holding our daughter at the time of her birth and, and feeling the weight of responsibility and the, and the joy of her arrival mixed together at that moment in that place. And, and the job changed as they they grow and as they matured. And, and when I identify myself as a father, it's, it's to let you know that this is the best gig I've ever had in all my life. Recently, I've been reading in the Gospel of John and understanding the things that Jesus said about himself. Understanding that the seven I am statements that he makes in that Gospel. And, and he gives to define himself and his mission. I've been underlining the the pictures that he paints about who he is. And as I've been reading and studying those word pictures, I've understood that Jesus used these words intentionally. And and when he speaks, when I listen and I see what he is saying, if, if I pay close attention, then I learn something about my own identity in what he says. I know something of my value, something of my mission. I discover something of of my identity. I'm inviting us as a church over these next days in October to read through the book of John, the Gospel of John. I'd like you to take it and read it in various translations. I'd like to to have you read it at least once from front to back. It takes about 45 minutes or so. And then I'd like you just to read bit by bit, chapter by chapter, and and go through it and and underline, read through it, and, and take time to listen intentionally about what Jesus says about himself and what that means to you and to me. One of my favorite pictures is the one that's found in the Gospel of John, chapter 10. Jesus reveals his heart, his mission, with this simple but beautiful chapter, one that you will recognize for sure. 
Several generations before Jesus came, the prophet Isaiah prophesied that when the Messiah came, the one sent by God, he would open the eyes of the blind. And Jesus did that literally. He touched and healed. In fact, in John chapter 9, he, he does that. He touches and he heals the blind. And, and, he, and he does that through revealing who he is. And physically, they're, they're changed. But he also talks about opening the, the spiritual eyes of each individual so that they can see God and see who they are. In John chapter 10, Jesus paints a picture of himself as the good shepherd. And so he takes something that's well known in this common agricultural picture and, and he, he speaks about it. He uses it to illustrate his relationship to us. There, there are kings and priests that have called themselves shepherds and have called their sheep, or called their people their sheep. The picture is found frequently in the Bible. There, there are many Old Testament characters of, of report and, and of, uh, who have been really well known who, who were shepherds, at least for part of their time. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, and David. Moses and David go on and would both be described as shepherds who were charged with the care of their people, Israel. Some of the most popular and well-known passages of Scripture come around this theme, come around this picture of a shepherd devoted to a sheep. Words like this, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths. He brings honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. Or go to the picture that is given by the prophet Isaiah when he says all of us are like sheep. We've strayed away. We've left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on the shepherd the sins of all the sheep. Or Luke records the words of Jesus telling this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 and others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. It's a theme. It's, it's a powerful picture of dedication, of commitment that Jesus picks up and gives new meaning to, gives fuller understanding to. And our, our text says that Jesus paints this word picture to a group of people that's called, that are called Pharisees. The Pharisees didn't get involved too much in politics, although they had a lot of political clout. Although, but, but, but they, they were devotees to the, the law of Moses, and, and, and it was their duty, they felt, to keep everyone within the confines of the law. They were the spiritual police to see if you were really doing what Moses said you should be doing. 
And in chapter 9, Jesus heals a blind man on the Sabbath day, and that really gets under the skin of the Pharisees. They're they're not happy about the sight being restored to the man because it breaks, they think, the law of Moses. Moses says, on the seventh day, I want you to rest. I don't want you to do any work. I just want you to, to contemplate God, to be in relationship with God, and to rest. And they felt that healing was work, and he was working on the on the Lord or on the Sabbath and the seventh day of rest, and they felt that he was a false prophet because he wasn't looking after the words of Moses. And so Jesus says to them that the man he had healed was physically blind. However, these Pharisees. Their problem was that they were spiritually blind. They didn't see the heart, the intent behind the law. They didn't, they didn't have any empathy for a man who had, who had been so blind. And, and he said, you folks have claimed that you have special insight, but, but you're the false shepherds. You're the one that are off the track, and, and you're leading people away from God, away from the truth. So listen to the words. That's, that's the background. L- listen to the words Jesus spoke to people that were already angry and mad at Jesus. John chapter 10, verse 1. Jesus said to the Pharisees, listen to this eternal truth. The person who sneaks over the wall to enter into the sheep pen, rather than coming through the gate, reveals himself as a thief coming to steal. But the true shepherd walks right up to the gate, and because the gatekeeper knows who he is, he opens the gate to let him in, and the sheep recognize the voice of the true shepherd, for he calls his own by name, and he leads them out, for they belong to him. And and when he has brought all of his sheep out, he walks ahead of them, and they will follow him, for they are familiar with his voice. But they will run away from strangers and never follow them because they know it's the voice of a stranger. It's morning in the countryside, and the shepherd comes to get his sheep for the day. He he arrives at a walled enclosure, a wall that's high enough to keep the sheep in and to keep the predators out. And they have spent the night there. They have been brought in at the end of yesterday, and they've been put in there, not only one flock or two flocks, but most often many, many flocks. And there's a gate, and right where the gate closes, someone takes, the shepherds take turns to sleep in front of the door, so that if anyone comes trying to sneak in and steal or hurt, he's awakened immediately, and it's his job to do the protection of the sheep. And so speaking to the Pharisees, Jesus says, when it comes to the care of sheep and the call, the care of people, you reveal your motivation by how you get to those sheep. If, if, if you crawl over the wall in the middle of the night, you have nefarious motivations. You're, you're not there for good. You're, you, you were a thief and you've come to steal. You, you've revealed that by how you've entered. If you arrive in the morning and you walk up boldly to the gatekeeper who knows and recognizes you and the gatekeeper allows you to enter the enclosure and and you go into this mess of, of fleeced animals and you just start grabbing your own. You, you recognize them. They're not branded, but you, you know their face. To me, sheep all look the same, but to a shepherd, he, he sees them as individuals. He, he's given them all names, and he grabs them, and he starts calling them, and, 
and he takes them out, taking them to the place out in the field for the day. And the sheep are excited to see the shepherd, and, and, and they know the shepherd. They, they know his scent. They know his voice. And, and the sheep follow that voice, the voice of the true shepherd, and, and you know they belong to him. And, and he, he's the real deal, and he has the rights and the responsibility, and he's committed to the task of caring for the best interests of those sheep. It, it's one of the most fascinating things you can experience in the Middle East. If your tour bus pulls up beside a, uh, a watering hole where there's several shepherds and there are several different flocks around a watering hole, and when one shepherd has felt that his sheep have had their fill at the well, he calls them out. He he has a unique call that's different than any other shepherd, and he calls them out, and, and they, they hear the voice, and the flocks start to walk away because the call is familiar and the shepherd is known, and only his sheep follow him. It's, it's an amazing thing to watch. And Jesus says, no matter the questions that are raised about the intelligence or the lack thereof in sheep, you can be sure of this one thing. A sheep will run away from a stranger, will not follow that person because he does not recognize the voice. The sheep follow the sound of the familiar voice and that they know and recognize. The, the voice that takes them to the places they need to be, takes them to green pastures, takes them to good watering holes, takes them to safe places of rest and comfort. Large flocks were common and are common in the Middle East. A good shepherd knows his sheep not as a crowd, but knows them as individuals. He's given them names. At night, he, he stands at the gateway and he allows them to go between his legs. And when they get, when they get to a certain spot, he, he squeezes his legs together and he gives them the once over. He feels for any bites, any wounds, any, any injury that they have had. And if there is any, he, he pours some oil into those wounds so that they'll heal. And, and he, he calls them by name and he, he ruffles their little fluffy heads and, and then lets them go through. He, he knows them. He's aware of who they are and what they're like. The real shepherd takes good care of his sheep, and he knows who belongs to him and who, who they know, and they know that he's their shepherd, and, and they won't follow anyone else. And the picture is so clear, but John records that the Pharisees missed the point. They heard the words, but they didn't understand what Jesus was talking about. For, for them, the confusion came because the motivation was so different. The, the Pharisees had reduced life to a set of rules and regulations that must be observed no matter what the cost or what the inconvenience. They, they had no room for emotions such as compassion or empathy. They didn't, they didn't know what it was to feel mercy or to have sympathy. They lived by the rules, and if you do that, you will be blessed. The focus was on being sure that everyone was doing what they said was right. They were the spiritual police of their day. Jesus knew the rules. And Jesus was careful about the way he lived and the way he behaved. However, his, his mission had nothing to do with the rules and the regulations. His mission was to love people, to care for people. 
he says that the empowering Holy Spirit has enabled me and sent me to bring good news to people too poor to hope for good news. The empowering Holy Spirit has sent me with the keys to allow captives to be relieved, power to make the blind see, and and bring strength to make sure that those who are oppressed by tyrants get to know what freedom is. His focus was on making sure that everyone was safe, was cared for, their needs met so that they could be able and be well enough to encounter and know the caregiver. He was all about relationship and not about rules. And so here's these regulation people, and they don't get it, and he's talking about relationship. The Pharisees just couldn't understand. We, we don't understand what you're speaking. You're, you're saying you're speaking a language that, that we don't understand. Paul spoke to Timothy, as we said here last weekend, in word pictures and said, as you consider what I've said, sit and hold it and God will come to you and he'll give you the picture, he'll give you the wisdom, he'll give you the revelation, he'll give you the insight into what's been said and this will help you to both say and do the right thing. But God couldn't get through to the Pharisees. Jesus attempts to help them and understand and and in verse 7, He goes on and he says, so Jesus went over it again. I speak to you the eternal truth. This never changes. This is true. It will be true always. He says, I am the gate for the flock. All those who broke in before me are thieves who came to steal. But the sheep never listened to them. I am the gateway. I'm To to enter through me is to experience life, to experience satisfaction and freedom. A, a, A thief has only one thing in mind. He wants to steal. He wants to slaughter. He wants to destroy. But I have come to give you everything in abundance, more than you expect, life in its fullness until you overflow. So the flock is has been separated from the other groups of sheep in the early morning hours. And the shepherd has now walked them out to a, to a pasture. And again, there is another enclosure that is available throughout the day. And sheep can choose under the careful and watchful eye of the shepherd whether they want to wander out into the pasture and, and take big gulps of green grass and or, or if they want to to find shade from the heat, or, or even if they're, they're frightened, they can run back to where the shepherd is standing and, and go into the, the enclosure that is behind him. And the shepherd stands at the entrance to that pen where he can both see what's going on in the pasture and he can guard and regulate who comes in and goes out of the safe enclosure. And Jesus says to the Pharisees, listen, I want to make this so clear to you. There are some shady characters out there who have evil motives and impure hearts and look to do harm to the flock. If they're they're granted access, they will steal, they will slaughter, they will cause devastating chaos to the flock. The, The thing that keeps danger at bay is this, I'm the gateway. I'm the door. I... I am the access point. It's a bold statement. And every one of us has to wrestle it through. 
What Jesus is saying here is a radical departure from what is said and believed in our culture and our society today. The, the thought that there are many roads to God. You, you can get to him by being a good person, or you can follow any road of faith that appeals to you, or if there aren't any, you can create your own belief system, and somehow, some way, you'll get to God. And Jesus says, this is an eternal truth. There is only one way to get to God, and it's me. I'm the doorway. You, you, you can't get to him any other way. It's such a bold statement. The Pharisees were saying that you couldn't get to God through Jesus because he was a false prophet and that he didn't take, didn't think he took enough care obeying the laws about the Sabbath. And Jesus says to the Pharisees and to us, if you want to enter into the life that God has promised... If you want to experience the freedom that he has said is available, if you, if you want the satisfaction that God says is your inheritance, the only way, the only access is me. I am the door, the only door. I am the gateway, the only access point. Thieves have harmful motivations and I've come to give everything that God has promised. I have come to make sure that you receive everything that God has for you in abundance, more than you have expected. I, I've come that you might discover life in its fullest measure, life that is marked by overflow, more than enough. But there is only one way, and I am that way. Imagine the reaction of these, these Pharisees who started this conversation angry spiritually committed but misguided, hearing Jesus say that despite their claim that he is a heretic, the truth is, is that they have missed the point. They are on the wrong way, that the only way to get to God is through Jesus and not through Moses. And here they are trying to discredit, trying to dishonor him. But Jesus doesn't back up. He keeps pushing. He continues on. Hear all that I have to say because there is more. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life as a sacrifice for the sheep. But the worker who serves only for wages is not a real shepherd. But because he has no heart for the sheep, he will run away. He will abandon them when the wolf comes. And, and when the wolf mauls the sheep and drags them off and scatters them. Jesus continues the story of the day and the life and times of a shepherd and his sheep. It, it's getting late, and the sun is starting to go down. And when it gets dark, the dangers increase. Shepherds in the area where Jesus is speaking contend with a, a host of predators, lions and wolves, jackals, panthers, leopards, bears, hyenas, all looking for a satisfying meal of rack of lamb. And David has at least one counter with a lion and another encounter with at least one bear when he's a shepherd. And Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I, I am speaking about being real, about being genuine, about, about being better than the run-of-the-mill, higher-for-minimum-wage kind of shepherd. 
the, the difference between someone who has invested his life in the flock and someone who's being paid by the hour to babysit someone else's flock is this. What will they do in the face of danger? What, what will they do in the face of threat? A worker who gets paid $15 an hour, faced with a hungry bear trying to get past to the gatekeeper to, to get a feed, will say, I don't get paid enough. This, this isn't worth life and limb. I, I, I'm out of here. He has no interest. He has no investment in the sheep. And, and so the first sign of trouble, the worker abandons the sheep and seeks shelter for himself. And he allows the predator to get in there and to create absolute chaos. But that's not what an invested, devoted, involved shepherd would do. It's not the way of the good shepherd. In the face of danger, the good shepherd lays down his life, does whatever it takes, pays whatever sacrifice is necessary for the safety of his sheep. You know the story so well. The, the good shepherd isn't just talking good talk. He he knows what will happen. I, I didn't come to be served, Jesus said. I, I came to serve those who are in need and to lay my life down to obtain the freedom and safety of my flock. I alone, verse 14, Jesus says, am the good shepherd. I know those whose hearts are mine. For they recognize me, they know me. Just as my Father knows my heart, and I know my Father's heart, I'm ready to give up my life for my sheep. And I have other sheep that I will gather, which are not of this Jewish flock, and, and, and I will be their shepherd. I must lead them too, and, and they follow me and listen to my voice, and I will join them into one flock with one shepherd. Jesus says this, it's a word that is full, it's a world that's full of options and alternatives. And let me make this very clear. He says, I alone am the good shepherd. There is no other. All the rest are scam artists and con men. I, I have the ability, I have the insight to see and to read the hearts of people, and I know who belongs to me. When I call them by name, they recognize me. There's, there's a relationship. They, they belong to me, and I belong to them, and they know me. And I stand here telling you these things because I need you to understand who I am and who I represent. My Father knows my heart. He knows my motivation. He knows my methods. He approves of the work that I'm doing here. And I know my Father's heart. I know His motivation. And I clearly and accurately represent Him to you here today. I, I'm ready to give my life for the sheep. That is who God is. If you really want to know Him, you have to see this picture. He is for you. He's not against you. He, he's willing to give all that He has for your rescue and give all that He has for you to experience this overflowing life that is beyond what you understand or comprehend. Jesus portrays clearly who He is so that he can, we can understand something of who we are. We are His, and He is ours, and all the fullness there. You, you are so valuable to me. No expense will be spared. No sacrifice will be too great. No danger too threatening to make sure that you can take part in this amazing life that I'm offering you. The Pharisees thought that Jesus was fighting with them over doctrinal issues. But Jesus was fighting for them trying to break through the blindness that keeps them confused and separated from God. 
Paul says, yes, that, that is really a thing, a spiritual blindness that keeps people from hope, keeps them from relationship with God. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, Satan is the God of this world who blinds the minds of those who don't believe. They're unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of what God is like then just to make sure that you and I on this Sunday in October 2019 and nobody walks away and says, well, that message was for Jewish people or for people in Jesus' time and has nothing to do with me. Jesus adds this note. I have other sheep that I will gather. They're not part of the Jewish connection, but I will go to where they are. I will be their shepherd. I will lead them and they will follow me, they will listen to my voice, I will join them into one flock with one shepherd, and I'm not satisfied with a few sheep that are safe in one place. It's my heart's desire that no one would be lost, not one would be ravaged and destroyed, but that all would come into this amazing, incredible relationship with God. The picture is so clear. It's so straightforward, but still, the the Pharisees miss it. They it's not so surprising, but because we sometimes get into difficult places and we, we have a picture that defines who we are, gives us our identity, but sometimes we listen to lies that aren't true. And, and I'm told that on the average day, the average individual has between 12 and 16,000 thoughts in one day. I might be a little hyperactive and might have a few more than that, but twelve to 16,000. And, and I'm told that somewhere but around 80% of those thoughts can both be negative and self-deprecated and even self-destructive. Thoughts like, I don't really matter. No one cares. I'm not good enough. I will never get ahead. I never can do the right thing. I'm not smart enough. And the list goes on and on and on, and they, they're played on repeat through our mind and seemingly without end. And, and if those thoughts are not challenged, if those thoughts are not changed by the truth, we start to define ourselves by those thoughts, and they start to destroy us. The truth is that you are so valuable that Jesus gave you this picture. He knows you by name. He knows all there is to know about you. He he so desires relationship with you that he will do everything to get to you. He, he, He will come so close to you that you can hear and understand his voice. And there will be Something so comforting, something so so much like home that you can't help yourself but will run to that voice. Every other voice will become like the voice of a stranger whose motives and commitment is unclear. It will become uncomfortable to hear it and you will want to run away. You need to know that though the world is dangerous, a dangerous place to be, and that there are some dangerous villains and crooks in your world, in your neighborhood, you you, you need to know 
that there's a virtuous, a good, an excellent, a beautiful shepherd who's got your back, who will fight for you. He, he commits himself to your well-being. He, he will look after your needs. He will give you rich, satisfying life that is more than you expect or more than you're aware of. Everything he has, he makes available to you. Everything that he brings to your situation, he will not withhold any good thing. This is the picture he wants you to see. He, he wants you to understand your own identity. He, he wants you to know he's not mad at you. He loves you. He loves you so much that he's laid down his life for you. He's so invested in you that, that he will not abandon you ever. And, and he'll be there in the darkest of difficulties. He's so committed that he painted this word picture that you could have it in front of you so that every time there's murmuring in your ear that says something different, you can say, I know the truth. I know who I am. I know whose I am. Fifty-three years ago this month, just over the hill to the west, I was in grade three at Belfast Elementary School. My sister was in grade one. There was a costume party that was the tradition in that school, and on the afternoon of Halloween, the first graders would start, and they would stand up, and they would wend their way through the rooms of the school in procession, showing off their costumes. And as they went through one room, then the next room would follow, and they, it would go all the way through the school. It was a Halloween parade. Don't lecture me about that, please. It doesn't really matter. Didn't affect me at all, but... <clears throat> My little sister was in grade one, and the janitor came in a very frightening costume and traumatized her to the very core of her being. For weeks, her sleep was disturbed by horrible nightmares. There wasn't a night that getting her to bed was easy. She would cry, she would fight, she would scream, and keeping her asleep was always unsuccessful. Sometimes, several times through the night, the light would go on as mom or dad would try to calm her down. There were meetings at the school. There were trips to the doctor. There were family meetings where we talked about it. Everything that could possibly be thought of was attempted, and it all failed. The stress level in our house was, was accelerating. But my little sister couldn't get that picture of the janitor out of her mind. My grandparents were praying people. And Grandpa was so concerned about my sister, and, and he prayed, and he was inspired by God to go to his belongings, and in his belongings there was a calendar, and one of the pictures in the calendar was of Jesus pictured as the good shepherd, surrounded by sheep on the ground, but in his arms was a little lamb. And my grandfather took the picture and he glued it on a, on, a, on a board and he varnished the whole thing so that it would last. And when it was dry, he, he came and found my sister and he took her to John chapter 10 and he told my sister about the good shepherd and he used the picture to illustrate the little lamb in the arms of Jesus. He told her that she was constantly watched over, constantly cared for, that she was protected, that Jesus knew her name, that he knew her fears, that he was completely dedicated to protecting her. 
He then took her to the bedroom and hung that, that picture on her wall. And he told her that when she woke up with bad dreams, to look at the picture as a reminder of what was true and not to allow herself to be traumatized and tormented by a fear any longer. And then he prayed over her. And the truth worked. She, she slept through that night for the first time and continued to sleep each night after that. And it was just a few years ago, we were at their place for, for dinner, and she sent me to get a, care, a chair out of, a, out of the room, and there in the room was this old picture. It wasn't beautiful, it wasn't valuable, it wasn't, well, it wasn't even well done as far as the varnish was concerned. But she couldn't bear to part with it because it was part of her story. And when Jesus walks into your story, the story changes. And when you know who he is, and when you discover something about who he is in relationship to you, your story is never the same. You discover your identity. Alina, can you come and play for me, please? In the months that have been working on, that we've been working on the new Strathmore location. I would have to say that it's been a battle that's been dark and deep and sometimes desperate. It's been an attempt to, to push me back, to intimidate me so that we don't go forward, keep us from getting to other sheep who need to know this loving shepherd. There have been doubting whispers that have come in the middle of the night or in the middle of a meeting or in the middle of planning. Whispers that say that I've been in a spiritual uh, dark place, that I don't know who I am or, or what I'm up to. Questions that have been raised. Uh, some voices that are known, some that are unknown. Um, is this the right thing to do? Is this the right time to do it? What makes you think you're going to succeed? Keeps us from getting to other sheep. Bill, you're incapable. You're disqualified. Drop the dream. Live safely. So for several months, I've been living in the book of John. Living out of pictures of who Jesus is and reaffirming who I am, what my identity is. There have been many songs, actually, that have helped me. This is one of them. It's, it's caused me to sit and to look at Jesus and to discover my identity in the reflection of who he is. In the midst of the nattering, I start repeating these words. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me. You're not against me. I am who I, you say I am. And sometimes the voices are right here, face to face, and they're accusing, and they're saying things that are unkind, but you start to believe them, and so you just have to focus in on that picture, the good shepherd holding you, saying, you are who I say you are. 
Last Sunday afternoon, we, we left our house and we got on the roads to drive to the first service in Strathmore. The roads were horrible. Vehicles were in the ditch, driving ever so slowly as my co-pilot giving me navigational help and direction as though this was my first snowstorm ever. And again, a nattering voice. Not my co-pilot. I know where you were going with that. But a nattering voice came. A voice that wanted to discourage me and wanted to make me desperate enough to cancel and back away and say this was a bad idea. Thankfully, J. Joe and Kyle were already moved out there. We couldn't back away. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. I am who you say I am. And I walked in, put my shoulders back, and walked into this school that had been so beautifully transformed into a meeting place, into a sacred meeting place, filled with people who had fought the battle with us and new and unknown faces that said, we're looking for a place to call our spiritual home. It made me so appreciative, appreciative of, of the good shepherd who gives so much to us, who backs us up, who calls us by name, who has our backs. You are his. He is yours. You are chosen. No matter what the thief says, you are not forsaken. He is for you. He's not against you. He's invested in you. Don't listen to what the thief says to you or about you. You are who he says you are. He is totally invested in you. Knows your name, has your back. Is so willing, so ready to speak to you. Words of direction, words of encouragement, words of instruction. You are chosen. That's who you are. This morning, I, I know this for a fact. I, I always end up going a little bit ahead of the flock to experience what's coming up for them. And so I know that there are people here this morning who've had the nattering, and they need to hear this. You are chosen. You are loved by God. He, he's got your back. He loves you. There's nothing he wouldn't do for you. He has more for you in life than you could ever imagine. You're here this morning, and, and you've, been, you've been fighting it. It may be different things. I, I have several colleagues right now that are going through different things. I have some C3 pastor colleagues who are in countries that are under attack. And I got two, two res, uh, prayer requests this week. Pray for these pastors who've been arrested and taken away and their families don't know where they are. A couple of other pastors are in problems because the media has decided that they're going to tear them down. And, and nothing that they've said is true, but they only have one voice and the media has a big voice. You're here this morning and you're fighting 
we just, as a family, we want to pray with you. We want to pray for you. And you're here and you're struggling. And, and, and you didn't walk in thinking, I know who I am. You're, you, there, there's been nattering going on. I want you just to stand where you are. If you want.